second reading, the epistle, is the sermon text for today, recorded in Romans chapter 8, verses 12, 18, excuse me, verses 18 through 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The epistle lesson from Romans chapter 8 that Pastor Arp read for us just a few moments ago is the basis for today's message. And as we studied today's text during the past week, I found myself wondering... What suffering is rolling through Paul's heart and his mind as he writes this? After all, Paul has seen much in his lifetime, much more than most of us could ever imagine. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he details some of his suffering for us. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned once. He was often on the run from the Jews who wanted to persecute him and chased him out of the town and even to the next. And Paul even enumerates some trouble with false brothers inside the church. But this is just Paul suffering from persecution due to his faith. He was not unacquainted with other forms of suffering. For three times he had been shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day adrift at sea, and he frequently found himself in danger as he crossed rivers and tried to avoid robbers on the road. He spent many sleepless nights hungry, thirsty, cold, and at risk from exposure. The suffering of which Paul writes is not only suffering from persecution, it is general suffering. And a lot of his suffering came from the reality of travel during the first century. Travel in life was more perilous then. 
So as we open today, I would like you to see that Paul is not pointing only to our sufferings of persecution, but to our general suffering in this life that we all experience. Now today's text is fresh on the heels of last week's text, where Paul describes us as children of God and heirs of his kingdom. So what do we make of this seemingly sudden turn toward suffering? Well, personally, I think Paul is answering an objection before it rises to the surface. We are heirs of God's kingdom, so why do we suffer so? I mean, look at kings and their children. They seem to live pretty high in the hog with not a lot of suffering. But Paul states that suffering is real. Sometimes too real. Some of us are suffering with the pain of just getting up in the morning. Some of us suffer as we experience homelessness and hunger. Some of us suffer as we constantly worry about money. Some suffer from the loss of a child who is still alive, but their whereabouts are unknown. Some of us suffer because they cannot conceive. Some of us suffer from an accident which has changed our lives immeasurably. Some of us suffer from the effects of a crime that was committed against us, leaving us unable to trust people or even feel safe. Some of us suffer because of rejection of the faith by a child or a relative. A loved one is following another God straight to hell, and there seems to be no way to stop them. Some of us suffer with the loss of a spouse who promised to love us until death parts us, but they decided that they don't love us anymore. We feel as if we've been tossed out with the garbage, and we struggle now with self-loathing and self-worth. Some of us struggle as caregivers, not only from the toll of caring for every need of another, but grieving as we watch the decline of a loved one right before our very eyes. Some of us suffer with grief that just doesn't seem to go away. And some of us suffer with a desire for reconciliation, but the other party is not willing. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait. Some of us suffer to keep suffering away from others. After all, what parent would not suffer to relieve their children's suffering? I can only imagine the suffering endured by police and firefighters. Now, please allow me to pause here for a moment. That list was hard. 
It didn't list every single type of suffering, but it hit many that affect us and people that we know. I know that there's even more in your life, much more. Every single one of you is suffering, and I cannot know every moment of your suffering. But your suffering is well known not only in your heart, but in the heart of your Father in heaven. So I ask you now that you pause and you, like Paul, consider. It's not just you that suffers. All the people sitting around you are suffering as well. Everyone suffers from the effects of sin in this world, and Paul is now helping us to understand this as he extends this suffering to all of creation, liking the suffering of creation to the pain of childbirth. Now, I'm not even going to even try to understand the pain of childbirth. After all, I am a man. There's no way I could ever fully understand it, yet one who has experienced it told me that the birth of a child is a hard day. I'm pretty sure she was exaggerating. And thank you for laughing. But seriously, Paul uses the metaphor of the pains of childbirth to personify the creation so that you can see your frustration with suffering so he can pause your mind long enough to hear that you have received the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit is an interesting turn of phrase. One commentator gave a fairly succinct response that I think will help us with this turn of phrase this morning. In Old Testament times, God commanded His people to offer the first fruits of the harvest to Him. For the believers to cheerfully offer the first of the crop to the Lord, it implied their trust and confidence that God would be giving them more later on. As such, the first fruits came to be looked at as a pledge, a token, God's down payment, assuring that God would give them the rest of the harvest also. Well, this makes this first fruits of the Spirit God's assurance that your adoption as children of God is complete. It is a down payment that pledges to bring to fruition the completion of our restoration as children of God. And Paul points us to this very fact as he tells us that we await the redemption of our bodies. No more pain. No more sorrow, no more suffering, no more tears. There will be no more death. This is the sure and certain hope for which we were saved. And in our suffering, this helps. So just what is Paul doing here? Well, he is pointing us forward. He points us past the inevitable product of our sin, which is death, 
to the resurrection of the flesh and life everlasting to come, the new heaven, the new earth, and the redemption of our bodies. But why here at this moment? To help us not lose sight of our future and our suffering. A future that is coming despite our suffering. It's like poking Satan in the eye when he brings suffering our way and reminding him of our new reality with just two simple words. You lost. Paul, through the work of the Holy Spirit, points us towards that second coming of Jesus so that we might have something to look forward to. And that is a powerful thing. And if you don't believe me, some among you already know that there are 155 days before Christmas. So what brought Paul to this conclusion? That we needed to look forward to Christ's second coming. Well, Paul sat down. And he paused to reason and think it through. Paul says he considers. In this case, he thought through his current condition of suffering. And then he compared it to, or at least he tried to compare it to what is to come. This considering is a conscious choice to choose what is the most important and focus on that. What is most important? Well, it is the sure and certain hope of God's promises of an everlasting, face-to-face future with a living God forever. And that is quite a different kind of hope. It's not a wishy-washy, maybe, kind of, sort of kind of hope. It's a sure and certain hope that makes our current suffering seem quite a bit less significant, but not any less real, when you consider the certain future to come. You see, no no matter what Satan would like you to think, we are not defined by our suffering. We are defined by our Savior's life, death, and resurrection and our promised right restoration, which is our theme today. Paul wants us to see that this is our reality even in our suffering. It is our right relationship with the Father, the relationship that has been redeemed by Jesus the Son that now defines us as children of God and heirs of His kingdom. Now, Paul says that this is yet to be revealed to us. Well, that brings up an image, doesn't it? Can you imagine it? The Father is bursting at the seams with excitement to show us this new heaven and new earth. If you have ever witnessed a child who is genuinely excited to open up a present that has been prepared for them, then you get it, at least a little bit. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you already see that Paul has been given much revelation regarding the coming of Jesus. But here... 
Paul says he can't imagine it all. (laughs) But what he knows from God, this is going to be phenomenal. But of course, wait, there's more. Even while you groan inwardly, every moment of your suffering is well known to your Father in heaven. For the Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Oh my, it certainly helps to know that your Father knows. Did you come here today to feel good? Or did you come here today to have your heart awakened? Did you not hear last week that you were heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him? All of this is only possible because of Jesus Christ. His incarnation brought him into our suffering so that his suffering would bring about the removal of our suffering forever. His suffering was a hard day. For in it he was removed from the presence of the Father. His birth, perfect life, suffering, and death redeemed us from the cost of our sin, and His resurrection from the grave defeated death and the devil himself. It was His hard day that now enables you to receive that awakened heart so you can see yourself as you truly are, a child of God, a child of the Father. the one who has everlasting life to look forward to in the new heaven and the new earth to come. That helps. In the midst of your struggles and your suffering, keep your focus there. It will help you to give thanks in all circumstances, even in the midst of your suffering. It will also help keep your inward groaning from clouding your ability to see the suffering of others. We so quickly turn inward when we suffer. But by keeping our eyes on the restoration, keeping our eyes forward on that restoration to come, we will be able to shift some of our focus off of ourselves so that we can see the suffering of others and bring aid as we are able. The focus on the restoration to come, which is the complete fulfillment of our adoption as sons, is the reception of the promised inheritance. It is the key to seeing more than our suffering. For when we see each other's suffering, we see our fallen and our broken humanity a bit more clearly. And that's when compassion comes. 
Love pours forth because we see more clearly that Jesus first loved us. So thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, the only Son of the Father and our Lord, and His Holy Spirit that ensures that the Father sees our every sorrow as He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. All praise be to God now and forever. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.